Good morning. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to his people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Chichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eucus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dave, for reading God's word for us this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to welcome you here to our time. Dana and team, as always, thank you so much for leading us in those uh, songs of praise and just right on target with our theme for this week. And uh, you may have noticed we have a new member of our team up here. Mike Hall has joined our team. So thanks, Mike, for stepping in and ministering and being with our team. It's great. On guitar, and, and you're missing the Allen boys up here. The Allens are in uh, uh, Kentucky visiting Laney and her husband there. So we're without them in the front row here this week, but miss, missing them, but glad that they can have some family time away this weekend. And I actually got some family time too. My sister is here visiting from Raleigh. So she and my mom were here in the first service, and uh, Beth took them on home back to our house after this. So if you missed Beth out in the parking lot, that's where she is taking care of our family uh, back at our house uh, today. Um, you know, I don't, maybe I'm an old man too, Dana, because I was tearing up in that song as well. It just struck me, the goodness of God, how blessed we are to experience the goodness of God. So, you know, I was right with you in that the tears I already had. I had to go find a Kleenex box to dry my tears before I come back, came back up here because this, to be reminded of God's 
blessings, God's goodness, His work in our lives. We need that, which is why we do this. It's why we come together to be encouraged together, to sing together, to lift up praises to God together. This is what it's about, to be the church. So this morning, our passage speaks right to that, what it means to be His people, what it means to minister of the gospel. And uh, so we're going to jump right into that Acts passage in just a moment. But as always, I want to stop, I want to pray, and I want us to just prepare our hearts to receive the seed of God's Word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You this morning. We do come waiting, ready to hear from You. And so I do pray that You would till the soil of our hearts, just churn it up and so that we are ready to receive uh, that precious seed planted in us so that it can grow and flourish and produce fruit. That's what we want for our lives. And Lord, we know we need Your Word for that to happen. And so I pray, Lord, that You would Allow us to be good hearers, listeners, and then good doers of your word today. And I pray that you would help me to accurately, rightly communicate what you have for us this morning from this passage in Acts chapter 20. And then, Lord, by your Spirit at work in our hearts, taking your living word and applying it to our lives, Lord, I pray that you would do that work that only you can do in us today to help us know what you want us to do, how you want us to follow, as we just sang, Lord, to, to follow, no matter what, no matter where, no matter what you ask, that we're ready to step into that and to follow you today. So, Lord, for the people right here in this room, for those that are watching online today, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be responsive and ready to hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, probably many of you were, like I was two weeks ago, home because of the snow. How many of you saw snow this weekend, too? There was a little bit. We got a little bit down in Canton, up here in the mountains. Some people probably watching online got stuck at home even this weekend from snow, that ice that didn't melt because we had such a cold weekend. But two weeks ago, we, we canceled our services because of the snow. And, and uh, so I was home that weekend, so I decided, I told Beth, I'm going to do a project here. I'm going to dig in. It's one of those things that you always avoid, right? So in my office at home, I have boxes and piles of paper and stuff. It's like I never want to go through that. But this weekend, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in, and I'm going to go through all that stuff and organize it. So I pulled it all out, and I took it into our main living area where I could just spread it all out. And so I had a box for stuff to be thrown away, but then I had piles to organize different papers and things. And you know how that is when it just kind of grows exponentially beyond what you planned? And so pretty soon, I had the whole couch covered with piles of paper, and then it started to creep out. So the whole floor in our living area is covered with my stuff. And Beth graciously said, it's okay. I know you have to make a bigger mess before it can be cleaned up, so that's all right. But this was also one of those projects that goes longer than you think. You know that? And so I thought I could finish it all in a day. No way. It was not going to get finished that day. So it carried over to the next day. And then, you know, we're getting back to, to work and routine. So now it's only the little bit of time I can spare to go back and finish it. So a couple of days it's spread out in, in our living area. But it was also one of those tasks, and you know what I'm talking about. Some things you can just leave for a long time and nobody really cares. Nobody sees it. Maybe you don't ever even get back to it at all. But some things you notice if you didn't finish. And this is one of those. I mean, it went spread out over your living area. You can't avoid it. It was a task that had to be finished. And I've actually done the same thing here. If you come up to my office, you've been up there recently, I've got piles spread out because I'm organizing for our office move to our new renovated space. And so that's a task I've got to finish in order to get into the new office. And the renovation is another great example. 
It, what if our workers, our volunteers just said, yeah, that's good enough, just leave it half done? That would not be appropriate. That wouldn't be okay. We need that job finished. That's how Paul looked at ministry. That's how he looked at his life. He said, God's given me a task, and I cannot leave it unfinished. I need to get this done. And so our title for today, for this message, is Finishing Well. And Acts chapter 20, if you're not there already, please turn in your Bibles. Acts chapter 20, diving into this chapter today, pick it up on your phone or electronic device, wherever you find it. I'd love for you to follow along as we go through this passage today. And I want to point you, first of all, to verse 24, because I think this verse is, is like Paul's purpose for his life is illustrated in this one verse. We'll put it on the screen here, or you look at it in your own Bible. Verse 24, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I love that. That is life purpose. If you've read the biography, I, I mentioned this a couple years ago when I finished this, uh, this little uh, life story of my dad, my dad's life story. I wrote a book called Home Before Sunset. And some of you took it and read it, and we had a few copies out here. If you read this to the end and read the last page, I mentioned on the last page of this biography that my dad's life verse was this verse. Acts 20, 24. So it's special to me just because of that. He would put it on things and write on things. If he was signing a book that he wrote, he would put this verse. And it's a great life verse It was because it was Paul's commitment to ministry. And my dad adopted that as his commitment in his life as well. And it really, any of us probably in this room could probably say, yeah, that's, that'd be my life verse too because we all want to finish well. We want our lives to count for Christ. But here's the thing, finishing well doesn't start when you get to the finish line. If you want to finish well, you've got to start that earlier on. You have to plan for that. You have to live your life in such a way that you know that an end is coming and you want to finish well. See, here in Acts 20, we're not to the end of Paul's life. He's still got much more ministry to go, but he's already looking ahead. He's already planning. He already knows what God's calling him to, and he's committed to doing it and finishing it before his life ends. And what is that? Completing the task of testifying to God's grace. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, in this chapter, we're going to find out. We're going to see how Paul describes his own ministry life, his own commitment, and how he then challenges the ministry leaders in the church at Ephesus before he leaves them in Acts 20. So, first, let me catch you up a little bit on Paul's itinerary. You heard a bunch of names and places and so on as Dave was reading this passage. So, let me show it to you on a map. We talked last week in chapter 19 about how Paul starts on his third missionary journey. Right over here at Antioch, his home church, he goes back through these areas that from his first journey, strengthening those churches, and he lands right here in Ephesus. And he spends two or three years. This is a long time for Paul. He's in ministry. He's building this church in Ephesus. But we also heard his plan at the, in the end of chapter 19 that he plans to go on. And now chapter 20, as it starts, now he moves on. So we had the riot last week in Ephesus. After the riot, he heads back over here to Greece, Macedonia. And he, again, he's encouraging the churches and the believers where, it, where he started in his second journey. 
I love this pattern of Paul, encouraging, building up the believers and those early churches. And they end up here in Philippi, and in verse 5, we have another we section that begins. Remember how we talked about that? Luke, the author of Acts, whenever he says we, that first person plural, then that means he's rejoined the team. So a couple chapters ago, we left him in Philippi. Now he rejoins Paul and the team, and they're on their way all the way, planning to go all the way back down here to Jerusalem. So they come through here, but they stop for a minute in Troas. And you just heard that reading about what happens in Troas. It's just a short stop. So Paul's trying to unload probably four or five of his sermons on these people. He's got one day. And so they're there late into the night till midnight. The lamps are burning. It's warm. And this poor guy, Eutychus, is trying to listen to Paul, but he's sitting in a window. We've been open window, obviously. And he falls fully asleep and falls out of the window. Let this be a lesson to you about falling asleep in church. I can't bypass that application, right? However, Beth always, as she always kind of looks over my sermon ahead of time, she said, yeah, and this, let this be a lesson to you not to preach too long. <laughs> so it goes both ways, right? So uh, thankfully, we can joke about this and laugh about this passage because we know it ends well, right? He dies. He falls dead three stories down. Paul goes down, and God raises Eutychus back to life. I mean, it's extraordinary, this miracle in the midst of this. It's just a short stopover, and yet you see the power of God at work even in this. And so Paul wraps this up, and thankfully he can go on with a clear conscience because the guy's alive now. It would have been a lot harder if he, if he hadn't been. So he goes on, and he, they move out of Troas. Now, let me come back to the map here again. So here, well, here we are in Troas. Now, they make a bunch of stops along the way on the coast. They're uh, some of these port cities, and they end up here in Miletus. Now, notice, just it's south of Ephesus, about 30 miles. And Paul sends to the church in Ephesus. Now, he, Luke tells us he doesn't go back to Ephesus because he knows if he goes, he's going to stay too long. And his goal is to get all the way back here to Jerusalem in time for the festival, Pentecost. And so he's only got a short time here. And so he calls for the leaders, the elders of Ephesus, to come and meet him. So they make this 30-mile trek down to Miletus to meet Paul before he sails on. Now, you've probably done this before yourself, right? This, this is not that different from us. Maybe you had friends coming through, but they, you know, they were just passing through. And so you go meet them at a restaurant or something, say, hey, let's just at least have lunch together, and then you can be on your way. That's what's going on here. Paul says, come on down. Let's meet one more time before I go on. And in that meeting, Paul speaks to these elders, and his words to them form the heart of today's message. So here's where we want to camp, starting in verse 18. And Paul first talks about the ministry life, his life, but the life of any of us called to ministry. Now, it's important to remember Paul spent these three years in Ephesus, so these leaders, these elders knew him well. They knew his commitment. Verse 18 when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. So Paul had modeled the ministry life for them. He says, You saw me. You saw my life. You saw my priorities. You know what I'm about to tell you. And so then he describes it for them and for us. So the first characteristic of the ministry life is serving humbly. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. See, Dana, we're in good company. Paul cried too. It's okay. Paul shed tears. That's how his heart was for ministry. 
He was tested. He was tried. You heard some of the stories, and it was true at Ephesus as it was almost any place Paul went, Jews who opposed him, Gentiles who opposed him and his message. But he didn't quit. He didn't stop. He understood that his priority was to serve God no matter what. So he humbly carried on with tears, even when it was hard. You know, I, I almost hate to say this, but I think our modern mindset in our society, it, it, it just doesn't, there's not an understanding of that. Not, we're just not geared to that in our society. The thought is, you know, if, if you're doing something and you're not getting the appreciation you want, the fulfillment you want, then you just quit. Just move on, do something else. It's kind of the mindset. If it's not building you up, filling you up, then set it aside. And yet, Paul here, in his humility, he doesn't need his ego stroked. He's actually being attacked for what he's doing. And still, he doesn't quit. You know, last August, you probably heard the stats, August 2021, 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs. It's the highest number in a month in the 20 years the Department of Labor has been tracking those stats. Now, that does not include, by the way, retirements. It's not people who said, yeah, I'm done with my work life, I'm just going to retire now. No, this is people who quit, and some, in some cases, quitting to go to another job, in some cases, quitting not knowing if or when there would be another job, and in some cases, quitting planning never to work again. And to me, that just kind of reveals a mindset of, hey, things are tough right now, so I'm just bailing out. And Paul says to these leaders, says, that's not the way it is with ministry. This is not a job that you just leave, you just quit, decide to go do something else. Ministry is our calling. It's our life. And ministry is the life of every believer. We're, we're not talking here about professional ministers. We're not talking about pastors only. We're talking about us as believers who are called to follow Jesus, like we sang about this morning, and serve Him. That's ministry. And ministry is not a job. You just quit. You stay humble. You stay faithful, even when it's hard. Second characteristic is speaking boldly. Verse 20 and 21, great description of Paul's ministry here. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, I didn't shy away from preaching anything. If it would help you grow, I would, I would give it to you. I would teach it to you. He taught publicly, he taught privately in homes, he taught Jews, he taught Gentiles, he taught the Greeks. His message was consistent. Turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Well, you've heard this a number of times already in Acts, right? Repent and believe. It's the consistent message of the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And it is still the gospel for us today. Repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. And that's it, Paul says, is what I continually spoke to you. And he did it without hesitation. And, you know, you may be thinking at this point, again, well, you know, that's for preaching is for preachers, right? That's for Paul. That's for Pastor Jeff. That's for Pastor Jason, Pastor Nick. They do the preaching. But it's not just limited when you talk about speaking boldly. That's not just preaching. Even if you haven't been called to preach the gospel, you can still speak boldly for Him. 
And you can do what Paul describes here, telling how God showed His grace to you. Remember, that's what he says. It's testifying to the grace of God. You can testify to the grace of God. If you've experienced it yourself, you've been forgiven of your sin, you can tell others about that grace. And we do it boldly. We do it faithfully. We do it consistently. We can encourage others to do what we did, repent and believe. You know, when uh, Beth was a little girl, I may have shared this with you before, but it just always strikes me. I remember this story. Her, her mom would often leave for her, I think her sisters as well, a, a little card. And she was going away especially, and they had chores to do at home, so she would leave this little card with Ecclesiastes 9.10 on it, which says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's a great verse for a mom to give to kids, right, when it has to do with chores and stuff at home. You know, if there's something that needs to be done, do it, and do it with all your strength. But it's a great principle for us in ministry as well. It's what Paul lived out. Whatever God gives you to do, do it with all your might. Third characteristic Paul describes here is living fearlessly. Living fearlessly. He, he admits his ministry calling was a dangerous one. Paul knew that. Here's verse 22 through 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul's headed to Jerusalem, right? And so he knew that this was a dangerous place for him to go. It had always been, and it would be. He was a former Pharisee, so he was part of that Jerusalem crowd at one point, but he had since become a Christian and a radical one at that and an evangelist and a missionary. And so for him to go back to Jerusalem was like going back right into the lion's den. He knew it was dangerous, but he also knew that's what God had called him to. And this is kind of the oxymoron, if you will, of what's going on here because the Holy Spirit is compelling him to go to Jerusalem, but the Holy Spirit is also telling him, yeah, but you're going to face trouble and hardship and, and prison. This, this tension is going to continue through the next couple of chapters, by the way. You'll, you'll hear this coming up again. Because as Paul makes his way to Jerusalem, other people also say, hey, Paul, don't go. It's too dangerous. Don't go. But Paul says, but God's told me to go. This tension, when God's will involves something risky, potentially dangerous, that's what Paul is experiencing here. And yet he knows, I've got to go. If God's told me to go, I've got to go, even if he's also told me, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be painful. This was God's will for him. And that dangerous reality, by the way, is what prompts him to state his commitment. See, sometimes we take Acts 20, 24, we kind of pull it out of context. Yeah, it's a great life verse. Well, you got to understand, Paul says that in the midst of understanding he's going into danger. And so even though there's risk, he says, I am still committed to finishing the course, to finishing the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Yeah, it may cost me my life, but that's what God's called me to. You know, about a week ago, I had a Zoom conversation 
with Shaker, who's one of our Trinity-supported missionaries and picture of his family here. And uh, if you follow at all what's going on in our world, you know that there's been increasing oppression of Christians in India. The government um, has just done more to try to push that out, and it's a Hindu-based government. And so, they've passed these repressive laws, he was telling me on this Zoom call, that if you, for Christians who pass out tracts or Bibles, there's the potential they could be sued. They could be taken to court and sued for doing that. He's also, he also told me about six brothers right in their area who he knows who are in jail right now for their faith. He also was telling me about how when they gather for church, when Indian Christians come to their church, a lot of times they are harassed along the way. People in the streets will harass them for going to church or leaving the church. Can you imagine that? If that had happened to you today, there are people out here on Steve Tate Highway or up in our parking lot who were harassing you for coming to Trinity. We just don't understand that. We don't experience that. But it is happening right now in parts of the world. And he was describing how it happens in India. And yet, despite that, they have not stopped meeting. They have not stopped fellowshipping and worshiping, evangelizing. They're still doing all that God's called them to do, despite the risk. In fact, I brought my phone. I usually don't even carry my phone into church here. But I wanted, you to, I wanted to read you a text he sent me just two days ago. Dear Jeff, it encourages us as a family that you keep praying for us and for the unreached dark places. Now, that's not just to me. That's to you. As you pray for Trinity missionaries, you are blessing them in this way. He says, today we will be doing a youth conference at four different fellowships. We are expecting up to 200 youths. It will be, I will be traveling to teach at one fellowship. Please pray for safe travels and fruitful time at all the places. Please pray that many will be saved. This is what he lives. This is what they live as a family. They're not slowing down. They're not stopping. Hundreds of teenagers gathering to hear the gospel. Is it risky? Yeah. But they're boldly proclaiming the word despite the risk. I hope that inspires you to pray more, to pray harder for this family and other missionaries supported by Trinity, other missionaries you may know who are in hard places in, the, in this world. And I hope it inspires you to be bold in your own faith and sharing of the gospel. God's given us this glorious task of telling others about His grace. I love the way Paul describes it. You don't have to be able to exposit the whole Bible to somebody. You just tell them about His grace. That's how Paul describes it. When we must not let threats or fears keep us from that calling. <clears throat> we learn from Paul here. He's, our lives are worth nothing, like Paul says, if, we're, if there, our lives aren't spent on finishing the race and completing the task that we've been given by God. You know, we sang the song this morning. It was intentionally, we chose this song because it fits this, this very point. Whom shall I fear? Right? We sang it. We said it. Whom shall I fear? The God of angel armies is by my side. <laughs> what could we possibly be afraid of? God is right with you. When you share, when you talk about Him, when you testify to His grace, the armies are beside you as you do that. You have nothing to fear. Paul understood his ministry calling, but he also wanted to make sure that the elders of Ephesus understood their calling too in that context. And so that's the second part of our passage this morning. 
the ministry life, but it's also the ministry leaders living out that life. And so, remember, Paul had probably chosen and trained most of these elders while he was those three years in Ephesus. He may have even led some of them to Christ. He disciples them, he, he raises them up, and now this is probably, he believes, his last chance to exhort them. So, verse 27, Paul says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He says, I've put it all out there. I, I've given you all I've got. But he knew that serving as church leaders was not going to be easy, that as he left them, that life was going to be hard there in Ephesus. He understood that. So he gives them these wise warnings for their ministry. So let me indicate a couple of these warnings. The first one is simply watch yourselves. This is what he says to the elders. And the first four words of verse 28 are perhaps the most important four words for Christian leaders in the entire, entire Bible. What does he say? Beginning of verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Spiritual leadership begins with personal awareness, watching the heart. A lost shepherd is not able to lead the sheep. And so the leaders of the church must be watching themselves. You know, we talk about this a lot on our elder team right here at Trinity Church. I mean, what, what we've done in the last few years, we've paired up every elder with another elder or pastor, and so we meet on a regular basis just to pray for each other, just to hold each other accountable, to ask that question, are you watching yourself? So we are helping watch each other so that we will watch ourselves because that's commanded of us, required of us in Scripture. And it's important because the enemy will attack. And if you're part of this Trinity Church family here, I hope here too, you are praying for your staff, for your pastors, for your elders and your deacons. Pray that we will keep a close watch on our hearts. He also says, watch the flock. And so he runs with this sheep shepherd metaphor here, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is a beautiful description of the church. The flock of God that Jesus bought with His own blood. That's you. That's me. That's a description of us. And so leaders in the church have this glorious responsibility of caring for God's own sheep who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And again, I love what we do here at Trinity and our effort to accomplish this and if you are a member, a regular attender here at Trinity, then hopefully you're on the list of one of our elders, and their commitment is to make regular contact with you. It may be by email or text or a call or seeing you in person here at church and talking to you. Our goal is to cover everybody at Trinity watching the flock. So I want you to know that we do that because two, two reasons. One is when that elder reaches out to you, Please respond. Please say, yes, thanks for checking in on me. We're doing fine. Or we have these needs. Please, please pray for us. Only by sharing those needs can we really be able to pray for each other. And the other reason I say that is because if somehow you got missed and you're not getting contacted by an elder on a and you're a regular part of Trinity, then please let me know. We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. We want everybody to have that ministry. Watching the flock is vitally important to us as a church. Paul describes one of the dangers, too. And so thirdly, he says, watch the wolves. Watch the wolves. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. 
Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Here it is again. Paul's just pouring out his heart. He's saying, I, I, I want to protect you. And not from physical dangers so much. He's talking about spiritual dangers, spiritual wolves. Because he's saying there will always be those who distort the truth. And Paul knew as soon as he left, they were even more vulnerable. And so he tells these leaders, these elders, he said, you've got to watch out. I'm not going to be there anymore to watch out, so you are the watchers now. Watch for the flock. Take care of them. Protect them. And the sad thing is, Paul says, some of these wolves would come right from their own fellowship. People that they thought were believers who would instead be wolves in sheep's clothing, in sheep's skins, who are going to lead some of your people astray. And so, Paul says, you got to watch out. And this is just as true to, in our day. You know that. So who are those wolves in our day and age? Well, the, the thing about wolves is you, you, just, you don't often recognize them. Sometimes they are. They look like sheep. And so maybe it's a family member of yours who gets caught up in a false religion and wants to bring you along. Maybe it's a friend who hands you a book and, that they loved reading and it looks innocent, but then as you start to read, you realize it's full of lies. It doesn't square with God's Word. Or, or maybe you latch on to a blogger or a podcaster or talking head of some kind, and, you, and before you know it, that person is filling your head with the enemy's lies. A part of our responsibility as a church together, and as church leaders especially, is to warn, to watch, and to do it as Paul did with tears. This is not angry. It's not rough. It's tender care. It's humble, humbly praying for one another. That's the protection Paul's talking about. Watch for the wolves. As some of you know, I grew up in Kansas City, and so from an early age, I've been a faithful Kansas City Chiefs fan. All right, I shared this with some of you, right? And yes, they barely got through last week by the skin of their teeth, but they are in the AFC Championship game later today, 3 o'clock if you're wondering. But <laughs> and their, their quarterback, the leader of their offense, is Patrick Mahomes. And think about this, Patrick Mahomes, as the quarterback, the first thing he has to do is watch himself. I mean, if he gets sacked, if he gets tackled, if he drops the ball, it's, it's over. I mean, nobody else can help at that point. He's got to watch himself. But he's also got to watch his flock, his team, right? He's got to know where his team members are, where they're going, where the receivers are going to be, where the guy is he's going to hand the ball off to. If he doesn't know where his team is, he's not watching the flock, he's not going to serve well as a quarterback, as a shepherd. But he's also got to know where the opponents are. He's got to know what the opposing team is doing. Those are the wolves, right? And they're out to sack him or intercept the pass. He's got to watch himself. He's got to watch the flock. He's got to watch out for the wolves. Leaders of the church are called in the same way to watch and pray. 
There's one other watch that Paul adds here, verses 32 to 35, explaining his own motives for ministry. He says, you got to watch your motives too. Let me tell you about mine, and this is what I'm encouraging you, leaders in Ephesus. Verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. They had seen Paul for three years. They knew that he was an example of spiritually motivated ministry. They knew from Paul's example that he was not out to get their money. He wasn't there for fame or fortune. Paul knew that his real inheritance was in heaven. And because he knew that's where his future was, he didn't need what earth had to offer him. He was working hard, but he was working hard to be able to share, to be able to give to others. And that's the heart of ministry for all of us. If we understand where our future is, where our inheritance is, then we can give ourselves fully to the work of God here. That's the heart of ministry. And Paul says this comes right from Jesus. This is the principle of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know what gospel that's found in where Jesus said that? It's kind of a trick question because it's not in the gospels at all. You won't find it there. Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. It, this is part of the, what's called the agrapha. It's a saying of Jesus that's recorded elsewhere in Scripture, not in the Gospels where the life of Jesus is recorded. So somehow this saying of Jesus was passed on to His disciples, and it comes to Scripture through Paul. You just don't find it in the Gospels from the very mouth of Jesus. But it's a principle that has been a classic Christian principle through this day. You've heard this verse many times, I'm sure, before. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul is applying it here for us as Christians, as ministers. It's not just for the elders, not just for the church leaders, but because we are all called to ministry, we all have this blessing available to us, the blessing of giving of ourselves. See, this could be applied, and sometimes is, to finances, and that's fine. That's an application. But Paul's mostly talking about giving of one's life, giving of oneself, giving in ministry and serving. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying, you will be blessed if you give yourself in this way. And we have that inheritance, that eternal reward in heaven that can never be lost or stolen. And that is why we can give all that we have here. You know, this year, 2022, will mark my 40th year of church ministry, which, which is actually amazing because I'm only, at only 45, so, um, okay, a little bit more than that. I, I started my first church role right after Beth and I were married. So we were married in July of 82. In August 82, we moved to Dallas, Texas. I started my first church ministry there. And it was, I probably should not have even been in that role. I was only 22 years old. I was way too inexperienced, too young, and yet that church embraced me, brought us in, and if, if you've heard me tell that story, which I won't this morning, but it ended up being a tough experience, tough first church experience. And so I learned that ministry is hard. That was probably a good lesson for me to learn right from the start. Ministry is hard, but I also learned that it's an incredible blessing. I saw the hand of God at work in blessing Beth and I from the, from the very beginning. 
And I say that to say to you, as you choose to serve God, whatever capacity He gives you, the blessing is there. The blessing is available for you too. It's true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So whenever God gives you that opportunity to give of yourself, take it. Jump for it. You will experience the greatest blessings of all. I love the way this meeting with the Ephesian elders ends in verse 38. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, just, this is such a beautiful picture, isn't it? The, the relationships that have grown, the closeness, Christian love and Christian grief together. And, and that's the way it works. When you give yourself and you build relationships with others and, and you share together, you minister together, you serve together, a bond happens. And when circumstances come, and they do, we've all experienced that right here at Trinity where somebody moves away, there, it hurts, it's painful. But that's the way it should be. If, it's, if it was not painful, then that was mean we never bonded and the relationships weren't there to begin with. We want this. We want the love to be there and the grief when there is separation. And that's what Paul describes, what Luke describes for us about Paul here. The joy and the pain of sharing life and sharing ministry. That's what God intends for His church. Paul's emotionally attached to these believers in Ephesus but he was also firmly committed to God's call to go to Jerusalem. God had raised up these leaders, and God was going to carry on his work and his ministry through these leaders, right? Yes, Paul wouldn't be in Ephesus anymore, but that was not going to hinder the ministry in that church in Ephesus of carrying on because God had equipped those leaders, those individuals that were part of that church, and his work would go on. They would continue to grow, and the seed planted would bear fruit. And in the same way, the ministry here at Trinity Church does not rest only on me as the senior pastor. It doesn't rest just on the staff or even our wonderful elders and deacons we have here at Trinity. The ministry is not dependent just on those leaders. The ministry is shared by every one of us. God has gifted you and that ministry may take all different forms. It may be right here in the church. It may be outside the church. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be with your family. It may be with one of our partner ministries in the area here. But He's gifted you for ministry, for serving Him, testifying to the good news of the grace of God. That's a ministry we all share. And as we share it, as we do it humbly and boldly, for His glory, then we together reap the blessings, experience the blessings of giving of ourselves. That's our calling, and that's our blessing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this passage, and it's really gets to the heart, Paul's heart for ministry and the heart he had for this church in Ephesus and for the leaders, and for the heart you want us to have for you, for each other, and for ministry itself, for serving you. 
So, Lord, I pray that we would embrace this passage and, and, and put it into practice in our lives, that we would serve you with humility, that we would speak for you boldly, that we would live for you fearlessly because we have the assurance of our inheritance in heaven and that we can experience the blessing of ministry as we give of ourselves right here, right now. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir us that, to that, to follow you no matter what, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what the difficulties, that we would, like Paul, finish well, complete the task of testifying to your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.